Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danka and Ryan Huang. It's time now for Why It Matters. And it's coming at a time where we're rounding off the year. So let's take a look at prices that showed recent condominium launches and rental prices have been transacting, especially in recent months, could perplex and maybe intrigue a lot of us. A lot of analysts are expecting Singapore's property market to see prices climb more slowly next year as home buyers start to become a bit more prudent, especially in these uncertain times and more supply starts to enter the market. How on earth did we get here? I mean, what can we expect from the property sector in 2023? Should be quite an interesting conversation with Alan Chung, who is the Executive Director of Research and Consultancy at Salvis Singapore. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Alan, let's talk about Live There's Rental Guide based on the November figures. Live There, of course, uh, the digital residential marketing arm of Salvis Singapore. What stood out for you where this guy for the month of November is concerned? I think we had anticipated that rents would have gone up, but we didn't expect that rents have even gone up much further than what we had anticipated. And it seems that it's still growing strength to strength as we speak. Yeah, I was quite shocked to find that the Clementi West Coast median rental for a three-bedroom private non-landed is now $6,400 per month. That's more than some people's salary, man. Yeah, but I think in the past five, six months, especially about starting from June, there's been an influx of foreign employment pass holders. So you can't rent an apartment without an employment pass. And then the MOM gave the permits and they started coming in. And if you say 6,004 is high, wait till you go to somewhere around the Jurong East, around the Park Oasis, Caspian side, three bedrooms went for as high as seven to 8,000. In Jurong? Wow. Yeah, in Jurong. We practically yeah. need to bring your passport wherever you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. This is crazy. Okay, which is the highest when it comes to the district? I'm guessing District 9. Well, I think District 9, 10, 11... You see, the rents are all over the place. It's rising. So one day, someone sets a record, and the following day, another one sets a record. Wow. And if you think that non-landed rents are going crazy, wait till you talk about landed properties where you have people renting for hundred to $200,000 a month. And what are the factors that have led us to this place? I mean, it's not a representation of the whole year for sure, but when you set these prices, they last for at least, I believe, a one or two-year tenure? Yeah, they sign about approximately two years. Okay. Leases. Okay. Uh, but yeah. the, I mean, when you, when you consider the kind of security deposit is usually at least two months, so you're looking at twelve thousand. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I mean, what led us to this place where the prices are so high? I think it's one of those things that no one anticipated, and it's mm. also a cautionary tale for market watchers to extrapolate based on what they parallel in the economy world. So it started with the pandemic, mm-hmm. and the pandemic everything went down. But it also meant that supply of the construction slowed down and you couldn't deliver the apartments. Then at the same time, you got Singaporeans who either came back to squat it out from the pandemic overseas, those working overseas, or lost their jobs. So they took back possession. So when that was happening in early 2021, no problem because there was an outflow of foreigners and Singaporeans who came back took up the excess, took up the stock. At the same time, the work-from-home movement Made millennials, the Gen Y and Gen Z guys, the salaries are pretty high now, decide to move out from their parents' home. 
because they need the privacy of holding video conferences and working yeah. from home. They yeah. took up more of the slack. Okay, so everything was fine. And towards the end of last year, we started to see pressures building as borders started to reopen. So rent started to move up slowly, gently, about 5% or so. So nothing to be worried about. Somehow around June, the floodgates were open when we noticed that quite a few employment parcels were handed out. So much so that in Live There, it's an online portal. People just viewed online and signed on the leases. They heard from market that you better not wait till you come here, then you look for it. You better go and get it now, take it or leave it. Yeah. So a year ago, you have probably seven or eight viewings before an offer is made. Now, basically, you make seven viewings before you make one offer. Mm. Today, you see one, you better take it yeah. straight away. Yeah. Alan, I got to admit, uh, my wife and myself were, were looking at some property earlier this year and we faced the same sort of pressure. People saying, hey, you better put in an offer now. Otherwise, uh, one hour later, you come back, it's going to be gone. Now, if we look at 2023, when you consider that the construction sector has picked up, so the supply is going to be more, are we expecting prices to still be on the up? Yeah, because first of all, the developers may be launching many more projects. Yeah. But if they got the land price in 2022 or 2021 at an elevated level, right. so they can't be selling at a loss. And then construction costs has easily gone up by more than 30% since the pandemic and you sum everything together, you see 223 is the year where they begin to launch it, mm. but they still have approximately four more years before they hit the five-year timeline to pay ABSD, additional buyer stamp duty for mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. selling out everything. So they will under no compunction, no compression in 2023 to lower prices to sell. They will still sell at cost plus at the very least. And so the cost plus, with the cost higher than maybe the break-even is probably equal to what the medium prices were in 2022. Then you add the profit element, they probably have to sell uh, a little bit more. But I don't think we'll see prices galloping away in 2023, but it will still rise maybe in line slightly above inflationary rates. We think about 7%. Okay. What does this do for demand though? Could it perhaps affect that? Or are we keeping an eye on how China could potentially fully reopen and that's going to play a huge factor in the market. Yeah, this China thing, it's like the reading of the pandemic. If we try to be too linear about it, then we may be caught off guard. Some things may not be intuitive and how this kaleidoscope of China opening up turns out to be, it's very hard to say. It could be outflow, it could be inflow. It could be a case where they open up, but they are very guarded in issuing out travel permits and passports. So I would think that I will keep that in the background. Still, I think the main factor is this. Although we have an economic slowdown, interest rates are rising. Sometimes we think that this is like Economics 101. There's a correlation between interest rates and economy with the demand for residential price market properties. But then remember, Singapore is now a developed country. And the savings is pretty high, not only from the current generation, but the current generation can dip back into their parents' savings. And that's where you know, it starts to confound the whole picture. How do you plumb the depths of uh, demand? So I think there's still liquidity in the system. The savings are high. And, you know, when you buy a brand new property, you don't need to pay everything up front, right? You yeah. pay progressively. And so it's been working, I think it has not gone unnoticed among the agents. And they are telling the buyers, why don't you buy something new and then with your surplus cash, you go and buy some Singapore key bills and make your money work. 
Wow, that is quite a bit of reading yeah. of the situation there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. If we were to look at the commercial side of the property markets, Grade A is CBD rents. Will it stay firm as MNC tenants relocate to green rates mm. and office buildings, something you're looking at? For 223, we think that rents for Grade A, overall Grade A, because in our basket, we have Grade A, Double A, and Triple A, collectively called Grade A. I think it will move up about 2% year on year. By the end of 2023, it will be up probably 2%, driven mainly by the triple A, the top of the great mm-hmm. uh, buildings in the Marina Bay area. But along the way, we think that because of economic headwinds, the trajectory may be, you may be facing crosswinds or downdrafts. Okay. So you have these microbursts, you, you may see uh, prices or rents to um, fall into negative quarter-on-quarter territory for one or two quarters before resuming the upward trajectory. I think grade A would still be in favor due to this increasing voices that we hear about ESG compliance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Smart buildings, that type of thing, right? Yeah, because the tenants itself, the MNC tenants are coming from countries that have very high ESG standards. And it's not Singapore's ESG standards. They have to abide by their country's standards. Yeah, yeah. And it may be given the order that you cannot move into a non-green building. Yeah. So they go to the grade A. Grade A, most of the grade A in our basket are green mm. rated at the very least. Okay, okay. That's a broader picture. Actually, Alan, if you don't mind, I want to ask a very broad question. You know, where the commercial side was, I mean, where office rents outlook was, at least for this year or the end of last year, right? It was a case of, okay, maybe there might not be as much because everyone's getting used to this whole idea of work from home. But if you go Mm. out there, you see everyone's going back to the office. They want to go back and be normal again in that sense. Is that being reflected in the general office rental take-up? couple of forces that work. Okay. okay. The great B, great C buildings, the older buildings are see, uh, feeling vacancy pressures. So they have pretty high vacancies, mm. like 20% vacancies. That's the reason why the URA office island-wide vacancy rate is about 11.7%. Okay. That's pretty high. But in the prime districts, the triple A, the double A, and single A, they are close to 100% occupancy. Wow. So okay. that's the movement back. Now, we have what we call shadow space. These are spaces that there has an existing tenant who has excess space but doesn't want that space and he's trying to find a replacement tenant. Mm. But because of an ongoing lease, uh, he doesn't want to play a penalty to the landlord. He has Mm. to, you know, follow through with the entire lease term. So the shadow space is increasing. Now, the movement from those grade B and grade C buildings into the grade A green buildings is good make up some of this backfill into the shadow space and the spaces vacated by tenants that right size. Now, coming back to your point about hybrid working and people returning, Mm. what has happened is that companies are now still pretty concerned about their office space footprint. So many either have maintained their floor area when they move from building A to building B or they shrink about 10%. So when you shrink 10%, we ourselves, we shrunk 30%. Mm-hmm. And today, we can't just slap on, say, how many workers you got? Okay, each worker multiplied by a certain square footage, and this is the office space you need. No. <laughs> there is still this thing called a workplace advisory that accompanies the office leasing specialist along, and he will plan based on this hybrid working. 
But generally, hybrid working is still in place because offices have come to a point where they can accommodate many more staff with the same footprint. They can accommodate movement down from Hong Kong to Singapore and still maintain their footprint. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, just a final question, uh, Alan, and this is ahead of Budget 2023. In your opinion, when you consider the rising prices, do you expect more measures to help first-time home buyers? I think we will probably see that maybe in the BTO market. Right, right. But that's a guess. Savills doesn't handle the public uh, sector of the market. But in the private sector, I doubt so. Yeah. But, you know, one thing for sure is that you know, you have rising interest rates and people normally expect real estate prices to be inversely correlated mm. with interest rates, right? But Mm-mm. strangely, I mean, we have a case now of prices rising and rentals rising even faster than yeah. prices. We have actually yield expansion in the residential market. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not as attractive as T-bills. Right. But T-bills is short term, right? You've got to mm-hmm. roll over. But today you can easily get 4.5 to close to 4% gross yields for a resale property. Mm-hmm. And that kind of yield, you have not seen it for the past 10 years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really uncertain time, really weird scenario there. But I agree with you. If any aid is going to happen, it should be properly in the public housing sector. Alan, I do appreciate your time this morning. Alan Chong, who is Executive Director, Research and Consultancy at Sanville, Singapore. Alan, thanks again. Take care and have a great day. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.